Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to this month's College Success Formula podcast. I'm Tom Bodorf, co-founder of College Success Formula. The title of tonight's podcast is The Big Decision, Making the Final College Selection. And this is not only for seniors, so if you have underclassmen, I welcome you as well. Well, tonight I'm interviewing Mr. Eric Goodhart. Eric is our senior admissions counselor and is a charter member of our advisory team here at College Success Formula. He's the founder of Programs for Education and is joining us tonight from his office in the Boston area. I encourage you to visit Eric's extensive website at www.smartcollegeplanning.org for some exceptional tips on planning for college success. By the way, I'm broadcasting from our new office in Arizona. We left Southern California last month and relocated here just outside of Phoenix, and we are absolutely thrilled with the move. Well, Eric, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us tonight. I think we've had about a 50-degree advantage over you up there in <laughs> New England this week. You've had quite the snowstorm, as you were telling me. I dare say uh, you are. <laughs> a blizzard we just uh, were going through today. An official yeah. blizzard. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, Eric, as many of our listeners are aware, you and I always emphasize the importance of families paying for college in a responsible manner. But besides sending kids to a college that's not going to bankrupt mom and dad, what would you consider to be the most important factor in making that final college selection once all of the offers, of course, have been received by a student? Well, the most important factor, I think, can be boiled down to, you know, why are you going to, why did you apply to those particular colleges to which you have been accepted? Uh, and there's a process that you need to be you know, taken and taken certain steps have to be taken prior to that <clears throat> the spring of the senior year. Uh, so the idea is, to, you know, the overall goal is to integrate the admissions decision uh, with the financial considerations, right. uh, which is particularly important when there's more than one college bound child in the household. Um, so <clears throat> faculty in that particular department. Now, it's not always necessary unless a student is going to be majoring in pharmacy or architecture where the, those uh, courses of instruction need to be declared going in as a freshman. Most, most students don't need to declare their major officially until the end of the sophomore year, but they should know ahead of time what the good, what those particular majors uh, offered at the school and how they're, how they're delivered. In other words, what kind of courses, what kind of uh, programs do these majors lead to um, and that sort of thing. So that's, that's the second thing that's most important besides affordability. Yeah, well, while we're on that, well, why don't you talk briefly about the affordability factor? You know, you and I emphasize that all the time, and a lot of folks listening tonight are aware of that. But uh, for, for folks who haven't really uh, gotten tuned in yet as far as, you know, paying for college, uh, just talk about that in terms of the college selection and that afford affordability factor. Yeah, the <clears throat> a couple of years ago, the Department of Education uh, began to require, uh, they put into a actually a requirement for colleges to provide a net price, what's called a net price calculator on their uh, college website. And that uh, was helpful. Um, it enables a family as early as, uh, you know, students in middle school uh, to look ahead and just do some 
make some entries into those net price calculators at particular colleges, a state school and a private school to get an idea of what kind of financial aid based on the current income and assets they held uh, at that time. To get an idea, the, you know, it's what I call a dry run. Uh -huh. uh, and when you and I, you know, work with with students uh, individually, and we select certain, let's say, a starter list of fifteen to twenty colleges. We give them an idea of what the bottom line might be based upon the students' income and assets. If a family doesn't do that prior, you know, two or three years prior to actually applying, um, they could be in for some. Uh, unfortunate uh, surprises. Right. And, you know, Eric, a lot of folks always ask, um, you know, how accurate are the calculators? A lot of families wonder if they're really all that close to what they can expect and if they can, you know, kind of hold the financial aid office accountable to whatever number they get out of the software. How do you answer that question when families ask about the accuracy? It varies from school to school. The, mo the most competitive colleges uh, have what I've seen fairly uh, accurate uh, estimates of what the bottom line might be. Um, if the income that's inputted and the assets uh, inputted are accurate. It's when, uh, but most of the schools, it's a rather vague uh, bottom line estimate. And it's largely based on what's called the federal methodology. When a family files the FAFSA, that figure <clears throat> at the conclusion of that um, filing in the, tells the college what the student is eligible for for federal loans and grants, if any. If uh, <clears throat> if a college only uses federal methodology, if they only require a FAFSA and not the uh, profile form, uh, don't expect a lot of financial aid from that school, particularly if it's a private school. If they have, do require a profile, which asks more advanced questions, more intense, uh, invasive questions, if you will, Right. Um, there could be more money uh, provided for, uh, for need. Also, a net price calculator that asks questions about academic scores, uh, GPAs and standardized test scores, that is for the purpose of perhaps projecting, uh, giving a family an idea of what possible merit scholarships they may receive. Um, some merit scholarships are based purely on merit, and uh, the family earns a million dollars a year, uh, that student will receive, you know, if they're el eligible based on the standard, of, you know, whatever standardized tests uh, are required, you know, scores are required for that merit scholarship. But a lot of merit scholarships are often tuition discounts, but nonetheless, whether it's pure merit or a tuition discount, the higher the standardized test score and GPA, uh, the more the better possibility of getting financial aid. Now, in a net price calculator, it's not always accurate to determine that um, ahead of time. When you and I work with students, we know more uh, more individually as to what colleges will offer better, more aid, a better aid package than another, um, and we can counsel our students who may have, based on the PSAT they took in uh, October of the junior year, that if they work on doing some preparation for the standardized test in the last half of the junior year, they could very well receive some handsome uh, merit awards from schools. Um, so that's, <clears throat> that's all part of the preparation families need to do before the student even 
fills out an application. And when we do the dry run and we have these schools laid out and, money, and some of the most, most of the most competitive schools don't offer merit scholarships because they don't need to. They always, they always have an overabundance of qualified students. So all of their aid packages are based on just simple need, which is based on the income and the assets uh, of the family. Now, some <clears throat> when schools use the profile, they may also uh, evaluate the home equity in different ways. I won't go into a lot of detail uh, uh, on that, but I often say to uh, CPAs when I talk to them about if they have a client applying to six different schools, it's like filling out tax returns for six different countries because right. the institutional methodology varies from private school to private school. Right. The same. So regarding the, the net price calculator, it, it really does depend. It, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Some are use far better, more elaborate software than others. Some take into account merit, others don't. So it, it's really kind of a tough question to answer, isn't it? Parents want to put a lot of, uh, a lot of weight into those calculators. And, and it's, a, it's a great function that they provide, but there's a lot of inconsistency, right? Is that what you're saying? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> They're not not all net price calculations, <laughs> uh, and so and also when a family looks at the uh, cost of a college, they can go on if the student is a sophomore or a junior. Now the seniors that have received their started to receive their acceptance letters, uh, um, they can go on their this current college website and see what the actual uh, cost of attendance will be. 2018 2019 i see uh, those are posted in most cases most schools have have those postings but right if uh, if it's a junior um they're just going to see that and the, the junior is going which is going to 2019 and 20 they won't really know what the actual cost of attendance is but they can take the current cost of attendance and maybe add three to four percent just add three to four percent to that because college costs go up on every year regardless of uh, it's just an automatic kind of thing. Uh, sometimes schools will say they're going to freeze the tuition, uh, but then they they heighten the room and board, so it all comes out to be a three to three percent increase over the sure over the entire cost of attendance. Okay, so so back to the actual you know, decision process. Is there a step in the final decision process that you find is most often left out by students? Yeah, it's. Again, going back to understanding why they're applying to those particular colleges, uh -huh. hopefully because of a certain major or majors uh, that the school has. But at this point, what's often forgotten is, you know, basically understanding the academic department, how that department is run, learning about the faculty background. Part of the AAA method that we, we often talk about uh, includes evaluating the faculty, not looking at every member of the faculty, but if a student, uh, you know, I, just as we're talking here, I just opened up a college in Ohio, Denison University, uh, and there's a professor there, an associate professor and chair, he's the chairperson in geosciences. Now, this is a professor Clementi. Now, if a student is interested in applying to Denison, and they're interested in geography or studying geosciences with the all the talk about environmental science and global warming and so forth here is a, a college that 
has a professor, has a department who's, who he is the chair of, yeah, uh, who is a volcano, uh, uh, what is he? Uh, he, he studied volcanoes and uh, hmm. the activity around the world in terms of volcanic action. Uh, so when you go on the, on the college website, you can look at the faculty profile. Now, the reason for looking at these particular profiles is because that ac academic, uh, that teacher, may, uh, you know, <clears throat> will be advising you. Um, and you have a choice at the end of junior, sophomore year and you enter your you know, official major, you can have one or two uh, faculty advisors that are in that department. So when you learn a little bit about those faculty advisors, you say, well, there's a person who is really uh, doing something that I'm keenly interested in. Uh, now, this kind of exercise can be done early. Uh, if it hasn't been done earlier, um, it should certainly be done now before that final decision on May 1st is made. Um, because you might look at universities and say, oh, they have all, all these professors. But if you look closely, you can find that some, a lot of those professors are adjunct professors or older professors who may or may not be there or don't have uh, really the interest that you as a student has. Um, so you want to really look closely. And that's one of the most overlooked things about um, making that final decision, looking closely at the academic department and the faculty. The other thing is, you know, looking at the internships connected to those majors. Uh, so this is where prior to May 1st, it's certainly um, recommended uh, and accepted to email um, if at a private college. If the student has already made, had a communication with the regional admissions counselor, uh, that regional admissions counselor can help in connecting this prospective student who's been accepted and say has got a good financial aid award coming um, to inquire directly with the uh, faculty uh, member in that particular department, uh, asking questions about uh, career paths or internships. Where does one go uh, when one is majored in geology or majored in this particular d academic discipline, what are they doing now? So to, to reach, yeah, you know, and so these colleges that send out their acceptance letters, they want that student to, to make that commitment. But before that commitment is made, um, much more research has to be done because now the student is the, you know, in the kind of a, in that position where, you know, all right, I have the qualifi qualifications to be, uh, you know, you've accepted me. Now I want to find out, you know, whether you're qualified to help me reach my goals. And if those goals haven't been really well defined, uh, then it's tough to really take this step. Um, but that's what I, what when we work with students over the summer between the junior and senior year, is we help students to kind of really, why are you applying to these schools? Um, so that's... <clears throat> That's uh, what is, should be done, and it's often not done at this point. Right. Uh, so another thing, briefly, I would just want to mention about the financial aid, the package. Uh, if, if that letter of acceptance comes in from the first choice college, and even when, if the student or the parents have done the net price calculator, but still at the bottom line, the financial aid just doesn't, 
isn't there. It's, it's not quite affordable. Um, parents will say, you know, to us, you know, we'd like to, uh, you know, <clears throat> negotiate and see if we can improve this. I heard, you yeah. know, so-and-so down the street, you know, uh, talks about negotiating. And I just, early on in the process when working with families, I say that colleges don't, you know, negotiate. They will be willing to review the financial aid and sign off and that that period uh, of appealing is between uh, the time the letter comes in and uh, by May 1st. And there's a process that the college has. Most colleges will have on their website if families want to have their financial aid reviewed, there's a certain way of doing it. But often, unless it's a um, really a dramatic uh, era that the college has made, the best that come, can, can come out of any kind of appeal at the 11th hour, in other words, after the letter has come in, the letter of acceptance has come in, is maybe two to $4,000 uh, in grant. Uh, at least that's been my experience over the last 20 years. Um, so when I have, working with a family, if <clears throat> in the January period or whenever the fi financial aid forms are filled out, and now they can be filled out as early as October of the senior year, if you know, but there's no real reason to rush it unless the student is applying early decision. Um, but <clears throat> if I see that the family has a certain special circumstances that may not be understood by the financial aid office at the school that, to which the students are applying, then I advise the family to write a letter to the financial aid director, um, or if there's a particular person in the financial aid office that is assigned based on alphabet to certain students or to certain regions, to write a letter explaining these special circumstances even before the, the student has been accepted. Now, the caveat to that recommendation is if only if the student's in the top 25% of the applicant pool. Uh, if the student's just a marginal student academically, by asking, you know, you know it's not, it's, you're not putting yourself in a good place by explaining special circumstances that we need more money if you accept my student we're going to need more money because of these reasons, illness, loss of income, job, and so forth. Um, but in every case that I have counseled and determined that it would, to do a pre-appeal, it's always translated into a much better package. And when I've gone to college board meetings, uh, college board seminars that are designed to teach financial aid directors and admissions people about how to do their job more effectively, and I being the only private uh, counselor there, I, I'll talk to these financial aid officers and every one of them have said, if there's a special circumstance, financial situation the family has that isn't fully explained either on the FAFSA or in, those special, in that section of the profile, uh, then they would like to know about it ahead of time because that's if they know ahead of time, they can evaluate it and if it's a legitimate and reasonable situation that's uh, an unfortunate one, but this, a family, you know, uh, the student is highly qualified, can add something to the student body, you know, that's when they appreciate having that information ahead of time. So yeah, I, I, I agree with that, Eric. We, we've uh, recommended that to many families through the years, that preemptive strike, as, as we call it. And I know families are always hesitant to do that because they say, well, 
if, if they know that we're asking for additional funding, well, will that affect the admissions decision? So what, what so many families do is they, they, they hold back that information, they get a, an offer of some type, and oftentimes they can't afford the school, even on the back end of, you know, of the appeal, and now everybody is completely disappointed, you know, they, but they still make it happen somehow. They still send their student to that school that they could not afford. If they did the preemptive strike, they would know up front what the financial aid was going to be, you know, when the acceptance yeah. comes through. Otherwise, it's a drag down process, and we've seen, as you have, a, a lot of heartache on the back end of, of that whole uh, methodology of, of waiting too long to reveal the true financial situation of the, of the family. Yeah. And going back, if the student is in the lower 25% of the applicant pool based on the various academic parameters uh -huh. and if the family can't afford that school, well, you know, it's not the right school. Right. Uh, exactly. That's the bottom line. That's right. So, and, and also I want to mention those students who apply early decision, that commitment, if that student at the end of the uh, you know, summer is just falling in love with that one college or university that you know if they're not accepted there they're going to die <laughs> november 1st or november 15th usually are early decision dates um, now students who are on that early decision path need to continue to work on their other applications and get ready to submit them uh in a timely manner before even they get the word back from the early decision school uh early decision schools will want to have the financial aid information most uh, profile and FAFSA, but even though in the it says when applying early decision, it's a commitment to attend if accepted. The exception is if it isn't affordable. Right. You know, college isn't going to force a family to you know matriculate to the school they've been accepted to early decision if it's going to bankrupt them. Uh, but you got to be careful because, for instance, the Ivy League schools, which you know they no longer communicate quite the way they used to about 20 years ago in a lawsuit, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, you can't say, you know, change your mind and, you know, you, you get a, a decision from Harvard, uh, you know, let's say, well, Harvard, I, they have such a good financial aid pack. Let's say you got a, an acceptance from Cornell um, and you applied early decision Cornell, but you also applied to Harvard thinking you'll never get into Harvard. Uh, then you get into Harvard, um, and then with Cornell, which isn't as generous as financial aid, uh, you know, uh, you might get the same package as Harvard, or slightly or similar, but Harvard with you know, perceived more prestige, say, I never thought I'd get into Harvard, you know, but the financial, the bottom line is comparable. Um, so you go to Cornell and says, I can't afford to come there. And then, you know, if they ever find out that you, um, accepted an offer from Harvard during uh, the regular admission period, you could lose you know, your acceptance from Harvard. Um, so you gotta be careful with that. Right, right, gotcha. Mm. Well, Eric, as we wind down, um, well, we've covered a lot of great material tonight. Is there anything else that you can think of? Uh, any tips that might make the decision of a final college selection you know, a bit easier for students and parents? Anything else that comes to mind? Well, it's it's just basically you know doing <clears throat> doing the the pre work, doing that you know research uh -huh. thought, doing uh, the the assessments that we uh, recommend family uh, students to do the self assessments, 
which will give them an early awareness of what majors, how there's certain majors are related to certain careers and what kind of uh, current jobs uh, are open in those particular careers so that they have an idea while they're in undergraduate. Uh-huh. They can refer back to that information on these assessments and get an idea of what future employers are going to be looking for. Uh, but it's if there's more than one child, definitely um, you know, a family meeting has to be discussed uh, in terms of making that final decision because it's, uh, uh, it needs to you know, uh, <clears throat> balance out. And a lot of families are falling back on a plus loan or home equity to pay for yep. college for the first student and sure for the next student. And so it's, 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 it's really a long-term planning. And, uh, so those processes that we outline uh, need to be uh, followed. Uh, and that will make, make the whole process less stressful. It really is a family decision, isn't it? It's not just up to the student. It really needs to be a family decision. Yeah. Uh, and and another thing is, you know, a lot of we've worked with a lot of families who have a uh, kind of a brand name fixation, <laughs> brand name analysis. Uh, but it's <clears throat> if that decision, whatever reason, you know, it's, if that student goes to a school that wasn't their first or second choice, yeah, that's why yeah, it isn't the end of the world. Right. Um, that's why we, we want every student who eventually prepares those applications uh, and sends them in in the fall or in, you know, around in January of the senior year. The, the rule of thumb is don't apply to any school that you wouldn't attend if accepted. Um, so that's, that's the thing to remember. Uh, have something and when you develop that initial list, that college list, you start from the bottom up. Too many students start with the most competitive first, and and they fall in love with those most competitive colleges, and then realize, uh, oh, I'm not. I don't think I'm going to get into those schools, and they haven't done their due diligence with the other schools, you know, well enough to really make that final decision in the proper manner. So if they have uh, a, gr- a great college list in the first place, I guess the bottom line really is that they can't make a bad decision in terms of the the fit for the college if, if yeah. they do all of that pre-work on the on the very front end. They can then look at the affordability and these other factors, the faculty and all, but they can't make a bad decision based on the major and the, the quality of the education. If they do all of this work on the front end beginning in, you know, even the freshman, the sophomore year, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, any listener can go back, uh, go to my blog, smartcollegeplanning.org, and just on the, in the search engine, just type uh-huh. in, making the final decision and i've got a couple of essays there that uh, talk about um they're basically the five five steps kind of roughly i went over them today um in making that final decision i'll add one thing uh that if a student hasn't visited the school they should try to visit the college um before making that commitment um and if that's impossible to do because of uh, logistics and timing and distance and so forth. But um, there are two sites where students can go on and get uh, kind of an idea of what current students at those schools are saying about their school. It's, uh, one is niche, N-I-C-H-E, dot com, and the other one is unigo, dot com. And so th- those are two sites that are independent of the uh, 
and colleges themselves. And so students are asked, current undergraduates are asked to comment in 13 or 14 different areas about what they think of their school, what they would have done differently, what they like about it, what they don't like about it. So it gives a little uh, kind of the ethos or the personality of the school. I don't push students uh, into those two sites before they submit or prepare a list uh, in, of their own uh, because I don't want them to be influenced too early uh, about sure. whether, whether college is right for them until they understand uh, who they are and what they're looking for in an academic major and so forth. Just to clarify so, those, those sites, that was niche. Dot com n i c h e dot com correct yes and right. unigo dot com u n i g o dot com right niche and unigo dot com got it right good they're very interesting and so that not every college will be will have students there but quite a few students have hopped on board and there are some uh, unigo and niche I think there's sometimes an opportunity to email uh, communicate with those current undergraduates who've made comments on those sites excellent Excellent. Well, Eric, I, I want to thank you for joining us tonight and for discussing this very important topic of making that final college selection. Now, for any of our members who might have some further questions, how can they best contact you, Eric? Uh, just call the office, 978-820-1295. Uh, or email at help, H-E-L-P, at smartcollegeplanning.org. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you, our College Success Formula members, for joining us. And whether you're listening to us live this evening or the recording at a later time. And again, I encourage you to visit Eric's website. Uh, once again, that's www.smartcollegeplanning.org. And I promise you will find lots of helpful information there on planning for college success. As always, we're here to help you as you plan for your children's college success. And you can contact us at support at collegesuccessformula.com. So until next time, take care. College planning success to you, and may God bless. Good night, everyone. Good night.